continuing on in our series in the book of Acts in this time of Lent. We're so aware as we move toward Easter and we're aware we need to be saved in every way that we can be saved. Mind, body, and spirit. And God's done that in Jesus Christ and the world needs to know. And let's find out how in the book of Acts. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace. Day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them said, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and all the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you in every way are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your object of worship, I even found an altar with a subscription to an unknown God. So, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is not the, it, everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commends all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of them became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. Amen. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Come Holy Spirit. Lead us, meet us, and shape us as only you can. We love you. Guide us now. Speak to us. Faithful God, we need you. We are desperate for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we looked at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. And Philip was nudged by the Holy Spirit to go and stand next to this guy and listen. Today, the Apostle Paul is on a tour. He is not standing by listening. He is walking around and looking. He says, I went through the city, Athens, and looked carefully. 
Paul looks around and finds God. An unknown God, but he's going to tell him who this God is. If you were to walk around town here, go a five-mile radius, took a walk about, what monuments would you see? And what would be inscribed on them? We got some cool stuff. We got a lighthouse. We got the dream lifter. We got snowy mountain peaks in the distance. We have a dynamic and growing diversity in our community. We were just at Mariner High School. Our daughter's going to start high school. Whoa. And it was great to be over there at Mariner uh, and see all the many cultures and backgrounds represented, the flags in the cafeteria. I don't know, 40 or 50 of them. These are our monuments. None of them are revelation in and of themselves, but as we Christians engage with them, we can have conversations in which God is revealed, okay? God isn't the lighthouse or the dream lifter or the mountain peaks or the diversity, but guess what? We serve a God who brings light to the world like a lighthouse, who gives dreams and visions and lifts them up, A God who promises to draw a diversity of people, a multicultural people, to his high holy mountain someday. When you look around, it turns out there are signs of the gospel everywhere if if we interpret what we see through the scriptures. We find signs of poetry. The poetry of the gospel. Paul found this in the poetry of his day. He quotes two poets here in verse 28. The first quote is from a poem attributed to Epimenides, the Cretan, circa 600 BC. And in this poem, Epimenides is basically declaring God's not dead. There was a movie about that a while back. Even though some say he is, God's not dead. So here's a non-Christian poet who's saying God's not dead. The second line of poetry Paul quotes is, for we are his offspring. Now that's a poem that's actually about the Greek god Zeus. But Paul doesn't let this stop him from harnessing the poem's wisdom to support his arguments. He sees where they are right about God, and he builds on that. He moves with the truth that God has already brought into their life, whether they know it or not. Taylor Swift is one of the most talented pop stars of our time. I think... Her songwriting is blossoming. I think she will stand the test of time artistically. I think she will be in leagues with someone like Joni Mitchell and such like that. She often writes about relationships. And if you listen closely, you can hear a yearning for the security and safety of our relationship with God. The God of the gospel. You can hear a yearning for that. In the way Taylor writes about relationships. Taylor grew up Christian actually in Pennsylvania, not far from where I grew up. When she sings, call it what you want, she sings lines like, my baby is fit like a daydream, walking with his head down. I'm the one he's walking to. So call it what you want, call it what you want. My babies fly like a jet stream, high above the whole scene, loves me like I'm brand new. Well now, who is the baby who is high above the whole scene and loves us like we're brand new? I'm of the firm belief that artists sometimes sing and create and paint and express 
in ways that point to realities that they may not even be aware of. So we can point it out for them. You know, Taylor, I think this song you're singing really is about Jesus. (laughs) He loves us like we're brand new. He makes us like we're brand new. He makes us new. He's high above the whole scene. He's the lover. Like Paul, when we engage in cultural literacy, we become decoders of the Holy Spirit's stealth work among us. I'm not endorsing everything Taylor Swift sings, just like the apostle wasn't endorsing everything Epimenides writes, okay? But like Paul, when we engage in cultural literacy, in whatever venue, we can find points of contact with the gospel that can become space for God to be revealed. Anthony Dominic Benedetto, also known as Tony Bennett, one of the greatest singers of all time, a master of his craft. I love jazz. Benick and Brubeck, Benick, Benick and David Brubeck, uh, Tony and Dave Brubeck wrote, uh, they did a White House album with JFK was president. They performed at the White House. It's a great album. He's nine, that's one of my favorites. Tony Bennett is 96 years old now and he's got Alzheimer's. Massive talent, incredible run, peerless. And now he's so vulnerable. And it turns out, actually, all of us are. And a conversation with somebody about Tony Bennett could easily become a venue for some deeper spiritual talk, just like Paul does here in Acts. One of the songs on the Bennett and Brubeck White House album is Just In Time. And I love it. I love the lyric. Just in time, I found you just in time. Before you came, my time was running low. I was lost. The losing dice were tossed. My bridges were all crossed. Nowhere to go. Now you're here. Now I know just where I'm going. Come on. Is that not a setup for the gospel or what? Now look, we all have different elements of culture that we're particularly tuned into. I happen to like music and movies. Maybe you can tell. For you, might, for you, it might be something else. March Madness. Great stories there. Model planes or fishing or photography or maybe you're a foodie. Whatever. I guarantee you, in all these areas and more, in all the cultures that surround them, if we stand and explore these cultures like Paul does in Athens, if we find the poetry in them, we will find places to connect the gospel and discover... Like Paul says later in our text, he's not far from any one of us. In fact, he's already been working in the lives of our poets and basketball players and songwriters and food makers and model plane makers. He's already there. We have to listen for our culture, look for signs for God being at work. We Presbyterians are big on this. This is one thing that distinguishes us from the Amish. As I've said before, I love the Amish, respect to the Amish. I grew up with them. But we are not a go thee out of the world and create a separate society. We are a go into the world because we're so confident that God is working in the world and is out there and is so sovereign that we go looking for him like detectives. And like Paul, we'll find him. But there's another move that Paul makes here. And it's the harder move and he takes heat for it. Because Paul doesn't just connect with his audience, he also corrects them. I was trying to find a way to soften that, you know, connect and correct. You could say, you know, engage and challenge, but it just doesn't quite get it. He is 
correcting them here. It says in the text, it irked his spirit within him to see that the city is so full of idols. It bothers me when I listen to Taylor's songs, although I love her music, that this focus is so much on relationships, relationships. It can convey the idea that you get your salvation through relationships. And they're great, dating and marriage and all that, I'm for it. But it ain't going to save you, right? So that would be my loving correction to Taylor. And I would say, you know, within your songs, there's a hunger, I think, for something more. And when you get to that, then you're ready to, to find the love of your life because you found the, the love of your life. This is what we do. Paul argues, he reasons, he converses. The Greek word for argues, reasons, and converses is dialogeto. Lege is words, so through words. That old thing, you know, preach the gospel sometimes, sometimes you preach the gospel always, sometimes use words. I got beef with that because I think we are called to use words, right? So, so that I know what they're saying. It's true. Live your faith. That's absolutely true. But we got to know, we got to use words too. God uses words from the beginning. He creates with words. Paul uses words here. So we got to, we got to learn to use words and engage. And I, that's a lifetime thing that I'm all about and we can help you do it here. And everyone does it their own way and there's no, you know, everyone has their own style, but we have the same focus, right? Paul discusses with them. He disputes with them. The overall idea here is a verbal witness, conversational evangelism in Athens. Paul takes flack for this. He gets mocked for this. His listeners use Athenian slang to describe Paul. They call him a spermologos, which means babbler, which means uh, seller of secondhand scraps of philosophy. How would you like to be called a spermologos? Now, it's easy to think that that means it's game over, but it's not here. In fact, in verses 19 to 20, they say, some people bail and diss him. Some people just say, let's keep talking. They take him to the Areopagus. That's like the local Starbucks or The View or whatever TV show you watch that does that. Kelly Clarkson show or Drew Drew, uh, Barrymore show or whatever, right? It's a place you go and you talk about stuff, meaningful stuff. Paul gets there in part because he's odd, because he's pushing in. And so this is a correction to the danger of being Presbyterian because sometimes Presbyterians, we can be so psyched about culture and so excited about finding God in culture because we're convinced God is so sovereign and so great that we can engage culture and then water down the gospel, water down what we believe in order to make culture happy. That's not what Paul does. Paul corrects us here with that and says, you got to connect, you also got to correct. So we get a nice validation of being Presbyterian and we have a nice little warning about it here too. Because you know, you may get that promotion in your job in part because you're a Christian and you get kicked upstairs because your integrity shows and people like it. And then when you're there, maybe you might get tempted to be a little less Christian. You know what I mean? Or maybe you finally make it into the in-group somewhere in part because you're a Christian. People can say you're a different kind of person and they love that about you. But then once you're in the in-group, Watch out, you can start to serve that more than you serve Jesus. It can happen to any of us. Once you're in the room, so to speak, and then you're like, hmm, I don't I like being in the room. I don't wanna I don't wanna correct anybody here. <laughs> I want I like this. Paul gets in the room and then he goes for it. Paul raises his game, he takes the risk of losing the honor when he shows up in the place of honor. Because here at the Areopagus, Paul takes on 
the Athenian god monuments in the Epicurean and Stoic philosophical schools. The Athenians say God is unknown. At the Areopagus, Paul says, no, God is knowable. The Stoics believed God was in in the world as a kind of world spirit. At the Areopagus, Paul says God is other than the world, that God is the creator of the world and everything in it. The Epicureans believed that God took no interest in the world and was distant. At the Areopagus, Paul says, no, God set the times of their existence, made the boundaries of their dwelling places, and is involved in the world. He's engaged. He wants to be sought by the world's people. So he doesn't just connect. He also corrects. And he flat out calls them to repentance. Now, that's a little scary in the situation. And we don't do it with swagger. We do it with humility. But we do it. If we're going to move with Paul, we do it. We do both. We need to be able to connect the culture and we need to be able to correct the culture. I wonder if we polled this room what the tendency would be if we would in general be better connectors or correctors. Some denominations, I think, are better connectors than better correctors. Maybe some of us grew up in a denomination that was very anti-culture. Maybe others of us grew up in a denomination that was very into culture. We get here, we get here a blend of both. The more we make this move with Paul, and he takes us to these places... It's exciting and it's overwhelming at once. But that takes us to the red hot core of the passage. I've alluded to it already. And it's this radical statement about the way Paul describes God. Riffing again on the poets. The Taylor Swift lyrics of the day. Paul says of God. Quote. He is not far from any one of us. He is not far from any one of us. So that means when you're in the room or when you're being called a spermologos or whatever, he's right next to you. The Lord is right near you. That means when you're in the room and called to correct, he's right next to you or called to challenge or lovingly, gently challenge or or step in and really get into it. He's right next to you. He'll guide you. When we feel scared, tired, aware of our inadequacy, overwhelmed, feeling outgunned, outmaneuvered in spiritual conversation, looking through the halls at all the different competing demands for people's lives and attention and and really their devotion. Icons that become idols, right? It's overwhelming, but he is not far from us in those places. He's walking right next to you. When I did my chaplaincy at Harborview Medical Center years ago, I did my uh, medical, my chap, my pastoral chaplaincy care there, and I work in the ER. I have to go and take call overnight and stay, stay at the place overnight and respond to code one nine nines and everything. And awesome place, but an overwhelming place. And I would imagine walking down the halls and just imagine Aslan, you know, the lion from um, the lion who's the Christ figure in. C.S. Lewis, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I would imagine Aslan just walking down the hall with me, just breathing on my hand. Because <laughs> you saw, I saw some wild stuff there. I'll never forget. Lost. I had four people die in one weekend. Three from traumas. I can remember their names. But you got to have Aslan. And that was like 25 years ago. And I can remember their names. The world is too much. But he is not far from any one of us. But you know the wildest thing about this verse 
is who that includes. And I've already alluded to this. Erwin McManus is an LA pastor. I heard talk about this text years ago at Willow Creek. And Erwin McManus points out the audience here that Paul is talking to when he says he is not far from any one of us. It includes Christians, likely, but the focus is actually pagans. The outrageous and incredibly hopeful claim that God is not far from any one of us is really in the text, it includes Christians, of course, but it's primarily named at pag- aimed at pagans. God is close to people who don't believe in him. That is what's going on in some of these song lyrics we're hearing. That is what's going on in, in, in the culture where you can see when people reach for something bigger and they don't even know what they're reaching for. The language of justice is an important language for younger generations. And they're reaching for a just world that we know in Jesus Christ. But it's also perilous because it's overwhelming in a broken world to want justice. God can meet us as we engage with people of all ages and stages. And God is already meeting them. He is not far from any one of us. You know, it can feel like as Christians sometimes, and sometimes Christians fall into this attitude of like seeing our status as like we're at the Alamo and we're just surrounded and people are coming at us. And it can feel that way, but make no mistake about it. He is not far from any one of us, which means that far from this being the world's Alamo, this is God's Alamo. Because it's not the world, really, who has us surrounded. It's God who has the world surrounded. Because he is not far from any one of us. May it be so for me and for you. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.